Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And thank you very much, Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead this hour. Inflation. Companies are seeing it, consumers are experiencing it, and Fed officials are calling for action to curb it. But the futures market says they aren't going to act anytime soon. So should you position your portfolio for a long winter of high prices? Plus, the headline numbers may look pretty good, but are retail sales actually falling? We do some back-of-the-envelope math to see what the data is really telling us. And shopping for trades. From big box to discount to home improvement, we've got the action, the story, and the trade on three key earnings, Target, TJX, and Lowe's. But first, today's market. Michael Santoli doing the honors today over there at the NYSE. Hi, Mike. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, a little bit of a lift in the S&P 500, the broad averages, really large cap growth stocks driving this. I would say it's more like 50-50 under the surface. Here's a month-to-date chart of the S&P. So as it stands right now, looks like we're a little bit above the prior closing high. This right here uh, was a week ago Friday. That was where uh, that five-week win streak culminated. Market was looking a little bit stretched. By the way, the intraday high from that day, 47.18, still a little bit above where we are right now. Mentioned large cap growth. The NASDAQ 100 ETF uh, pretty much captures most of that move. The 400 level on the uh, QQQ, a lot of folks are telling me that's a lot of clustering of bets are are congregated there in terms of uh, the options exposures. But you see right there, that as well, trying to recapture those former highs. We only got that minor dip, and so therefore the dip buying impulse is there, but it's not all that powerful. Semiconductors looking good, along with banks. This is on a year-to-date basis. It's tough to get too negative on the overall cyclical outlook if these two groups are basically in sync and outperforming right now. Semis in particular are a very strong move today, Cal. Michael, thank you. We really appreciate it. Mike Santoli, we'll see you in just a moment. Now, strong data this morning, not giving much of a lift to bond yields. Let's head over to the CME where Rick Santelli stands by with more on that. Rick? You're exactly right, Kelly. Uh, If you discount inflation into today's retail sales numbers, it definitely takes a little bit of the thunder away. And if you look at that from a four or five month viewpoint, you definitely see the effects of inflation boosting retail sales. But it really was all about inflation today. If you looked at import prices, they were hotter than expected. Export prices at 18% was the all-time high, going back to record-keeping in the mid-80s. And if you look at capacity utilization, we finally overtook pre-COVID levels. We are now at the highest level at 76.4 since December of 2019. Now look at the break-evens. It's hard to get away from the inflation topic. Here's a two-day of break-even. Why is this important? Because yesterday's high and today's high were right around 2.77%. Guess what the all-time high yield close is on the break-evens? It goes back to 1998 on record-keeping, and it was in 05 at 2.784. That's how close we are, as you see on this chart. And finally, if we look at the dollar, yes, it's the best levels, the highest levels in 16 months. But what's really going on? In large part, it's euro weakness. Look at this euro currency chart from June of 2020, and you'll see what I mean. The difference between our yields and European yields 
is now 21 basis points wider just month to date. And the more that grows, the stronger the dollar will get. Kelly, back to you. Rick, dwell on that for a second. So if our 10-year is at 162, for instance, what, what's going on with European bond yields and why does that explain the strong dollar? Well, they're drifting. You know, about three weeks ago, they were within striking distance, six or seven basis points of zero. They haven't been at zero in three years. And they've started to distance themselves, moving into the minus high 20s. And what that's done is, of course, that has played havoc with their currency to some extent because the markets are screaming for central banks to get tighter. That's what the break-evens are telling us in the U.S., and that's what the weak euro is telling us about Europe. Very interesting. Rick, always a pleasure. Thank you, Rick Santelli. Inflation does continue to be a major issue for U.S. businesses. Mentions of inflationary concerns from S&P 500 companies are surging. According to Bank of America, mentions of supply chain issues are up 360% so far this earnings season. Mentions of labor pressures are up 250%. The high numbers have some believing the Fed is very behind the curve on tapering, including more current and former Fed officials. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard today saying the central bank should tack in a more hawkish direction to battle higher inflation, including upping the taper to $30 billion from $15 billion a month. Former New York Fed President Bill Dudley says the Fed has no choice but to get the taper done more quickly. And former Richmond Fed President Jeffrey Lacker said the Fed is headed toward a major policy blunder if it doesn't pick up the pace. But if Powell sticks with his plan, how can investors hedge against inflation right now? Let's bring in Kevin Monnies, president and CEO of Henyon and Walsh Asset Management. And Jeff Krumpelman is chief investment strategist at Mariner Wealth Advisors. Welcome to you both. Kevin, I'll start with you. Are you concerned about persistent inflation? And what's your advice for positioning around it? Yeah, I mean, you think that CPI rose 6.2% in the month of October on an annual basis. That's the highest annual rate of growth in 31 years. Plus, Americans are now paying more at the pump than they have since October of 2014. So inflation isn't going away. However, the Fed does have a TNT program in place to help control inflation, promote full employment, and also grow the economy back from the debts of COVID-19. That relates to taper, narrowing, and tightening. They've started the tapering process, and we believe that they will start to accelerate that tapering process such that we may ultimately see some tightening during the second half of next year with one and perhaps now two 25 basis point interest rate hikes. Jeff, do you have a similar view? Are you concerned they're behind the curve? Uh, You know, we're encouraging investors not to get overly optimistic or pessimistic about current trends in inflation. And our base case really is that inflation will be significant this year, around 5%, but slow to 3% or below Next year, some of these supply chain bottlenecks, labor shortages uh, ease. And I think we have to remember that data can change relatively swiftly. Let's think back to 2018 when everyone was worried about tariffs and recession that never happened. The pandemic, we were thinking a Great Depression, perhaps, that never happened. There are embryonic signs that perhaps we're at peak bottleneck, and that's very important. And yes, we are building a portfolio that would include some inflation hedges in it, but ones that would do well if inflation and rates rise or if we do get the moderation that we expect in our, our base case in, 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 on the sure. inflation. Front. And we can come back to those in a moment. Kevin, I'll start with your sure. picks, a lot of which are kind of in cybersecurity and the cloud and those areas, which it would seem like might be protected from, you know, they have strong secular growth, but they also might be high multiple companies in some cases that could be vulnerable to higher rates. 
Certainly. And we're seeing some recent momentum in the small cap space and with respect to technology stocks. And if you consider the type of technologies that we are going to need as a society to transform into this new American economy now that's emerging from COVID-19, it's these smaller cap providers of revolutionary technology that should really provide leadership, whether it's in the areas of cybersecurity, like you see with A10 Networks, Interdigital Incorporated, which is a component of our technology revolution trust and should also benefit from 5G spending associated with the infrastructure spending bill, or of course with Supermicro. All of these companies have market caps of less than $2 billion, and we think are well positioned now for upside potential irrespective of inflation. Okay, so again, A10, Interdigital, Supermicro, those are your picks. Jeff, what about yours? Well, first of all, I'd say that, you know, when many people think about inflation, they think of the 1970s. And so you do get traditional hedges such as gold, precious metals, commodity-linked securities that uh, can do quite well. And we do have some exposure to those. But as I said, we want to be more diversified. So stocks that we look at that will do well in a rising uh, interest rate inflationary environment would be things like Schwab that have exposure to, you know, money market uh, balances in a a big way, Um, some of the industrials. But also the secular growth names that your other guests just mentioned in the 70s, it was the small cap growth oriented names that did quite well. And we find stocks within large and mid cap also very exposed to growth. So names that I would mention, Aptiv, General Motors, that are highly tethered to the transition towards electric vehicles and advanced driving within technology, 5G oriented, cloud based Qualcomm and ServiceNow. And um, also within the industrials area for diversification, you know, we like uh, the Oshkoshes of the world and, and JCI, uh, Johnson Controls, which is uh, heavily exposed to, to the trend towards green and green technology. Since you brought it up, Jeff, I'm going to ask you yeah. about Rivian and Lucid. Some pretty extraordinary market cap figures they're both putting up right now. Yeah, you know, definitely. So that's why we think GM is a great way. Uh, to, to play that transition towards electric vehicles without paying, you know, those types of prices. It's, it's, it's as cheap as it is, I think, because, you know, you have uncertainty in the trans- transition. But uh, we think they're executing uh, quite well, and, and you're getting in at a, a, a much uh, better entry point than some of these, these other <laughs> stocks priced at these levels. Delicately so. said. Delicately said. Guys, thank you both for joining me today. I very much appreciate it. Jeff Crumpleman, Kevin Mond talking about some inflation protection for your portfolio. And still ahead, fintech remains one of the fastest growing industries right now. One startup is cashing in big on the trend, seeing its valuation nearly double in just four months. The CEO of Upgrade joins me next. Plus, it's a retail bonanza week in earnings exchange. Today, we're looking ahead to Target, TJX, and Lowe's. We'll give you the action, the story, and the trade on these reports coming up in just a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? 
With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional quality expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Welcome back to The Exchange. A new funding round, rising revenues, and keen Wall Street interest around the buy now, pay later space, all boosting the valuation of fintech startup upgrade. CNBC reporting the latest company's latest fundraising round puts its valuation around $6.3 billion, a jump of 83% just this year. Upgrade's revenues have also jumped, rising 70% from June to October. And the Upgrade credit card is now one of the fastest growing in the country. Renaud LaPlanche is CEO and co-founder of Upgrade, and he joins me now. Renaud, it's great to see you again. Of course, many remember you from Lending Club. How is it going so far at Upstart, I'm sorry, Upgrade, and what is the key difference with the company this time around, also kind of in the personal loan space, from what Lending Club does? Yeah, hi, Kitty. Thank you for having me back on the show. Um, yeah, I think the, the main product for Upgrade is the Upgrade card, as you said. It's a, quite a different credit card than everything else that exists in the market. It's truly, we call it the only credit card that's good for you. Uh, it's, it's really the only credit card that helps consumers access credit as a convenience and the flexibility of any credit card. Uh, but then the, the balance at the end of each month turns into an installment plan, uh, so similar to BNPL, similar to installment loans. Uh, but that really helps consumers pay down their balance much faster than they would with a traditional credit card. So they, they uh, sort of save on the cost of credit that way. So in other words, you're using a credit card to effectively achieve something like buy now, pay later? That's right. Yeah, no, buy now, pay later, installment loans. So it's, it sort of combines the, the best of both worlds. Right? With, with installment loans or buy now, pay later, it's, it relies on partners and it's not available everywhere. Uh, where the credit card is available everywhere at millions of merchants, uh, but it's very high cost, high rates, a lot of fees. And it's structured in a way that credit card companies have been very smart to structure credit cards in a way that keep consumers in debt as long as possible and the balance doesn't really come down every month. Uh, so with a credit card, you get both. You get flexibility and convenience and, and um, sort of, uh, available at billions of merchants. Uh, but at the same time, you get a lower rate, no fees, and a balance that comes down every month and you sleep better at night because you know you're, you're paying down principal and interest every month. And how do you deal with adverse selection, which has been a problem, again, whether at Lending Club or now in the buy now, pay later space? My understanding is that most companies deal with default risk by just turning off uh, your opportunity to continue using it. So if, you know, if it happens on a firm or one of the others, it's, well, that's the, that's the last time I can use a firm. But does that mean customers just then hopscotch from one BNPL to the next, to the next, to the next, and can kind of continue to be a bad credit risk that way? Certainly, that's an issue with, with BNPL. In terms of the upgrade card, uh, we, we really use sort of the same type of underwriting uh, you would be using for, for personal loans, so it includes uh, sort of income verification, employment verification, 
uh, pretty pretty strict underwriting, machine learning to help uh, sort of really sort of um, assess the, the credit risk of each, each consumer. Uh, but we actually believe we are getting positive selection uh, because the type of consumers would go for the credit card rather than the traditional credit card is the type of consumer uh, that is interested in keeping their, their good credit uh, standing um, up and uh, sort of have the discipline to pay down principal and interest every month, as opposed to the traditional credit card where you can just carry over that balance every every month and, and never quite uh, take care of it and end up having this never-ending revolving uh, debt. Yeah. Uh, so when you choose a credit card, it means that you, you have the discipline uh, to pay down your, your debt every month. There's a tremendous amount of innovation in the fintech and payment space right now, and regulators have hinted that they might need to crack down because a lot of bank-like activities are happening in non-banks and that kind of thing. Would that be a headwind for you? I know you partner with banks, um, but who is it that you are effectively trying to disrupt? Yeah, I think we're we offering an alternative to, uh, to traditional credit cards. We actually work with banks uh, in terms of issuing banks, partner banks, a lot of the credit card uh, sort of balance um, um, created by a credit card actually purchased by banks. So we, have, we have a lot of relationship with uh, banking actors. Um, but they, certainly we are, what we're disrupting is the traditional credit card. And we're offering a product that we think is, is better for consumers. Um, and that's something that regulators appreciate, uh, the fact that um, instead of pushing consumers further into that and having this revolving sort of trillion dollar outstanding credit card debt in, in this country uh, that carries interest on average, the 17% interest rate. Uh, instead of that, you get their credit card that really helps consumers access credit when they need it, uh, but then pay down their balance every month. Very interesting. And you can even offer crypto rewards. People are looking for that. Ronald, it's great to have you on. We appreciate the update. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bobby. Renaud LaPlanche is the CEO and co-founder of Upgrade. Still ahead, Elon Musk's multi-billion dollar stock sales are raising some eyebrows on Wall Street and on Capitol Hill. We'll tell you why. And speaking of Tesla, take a look at the market cap of these EV makers. Tesla stands at over a trillion dollars. Rivian hasn't had a losing day since going public last week. And you can see even Lucid vaulting ahead of Ford in terms of size today at $86 billion. We're back in a moment. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.
Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Quick check on markets. Just a few points off session highs. Dow's up 189. That's a half percent gain. It's actually the underperformer S&P up six tenths of a percent. NASDAQ adding seven tenths of a percent as bond yields kind of stall out today. Here are some of the movers this hour. Activision Blizzard shares are falling on a Wall Street Journal report that CEO Bobby Kotick knew for years about sexual misconduct allegations at the video game studio. An Activision spokesperson says they're disappointed in the journal's report and that they will not stop until they have the best workplace for their team. Shares are down 5.5% today, 15% just in November for their worst month in three years, and now down 26% since California regulators filed a gender bias lawsuit back in July. And Peloton was the mystery chart we showed you earlier. Shares are rebounding from their lowest level in 17 months after the company raised just over a billion dollars by selling around 24 million shares at a discounted price of $46 today. We should note that less than two weeks ago, Peloton CFO was asked about the company's cash levels and said they didn't see the need for any additional capital raise based on their current outlook. Quite an about face for the fitness company. Shares are down 69% from their all-time high in January, and they are also down 43% in November, although they are rebounding 11% today, hanging on around $53 a share. Over to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Rahel? Hi, Kelly, and here's what's happening at this hour. Autopsy photos of Ahmad Arbery have been shown to jurors at the murder trial of the three white men accused of killing Arbery. The medical examiner is saying that Arbery was shot at close range with a shotgun, the wounds so severe that first responders would not have been able to save his life. Elsewhere, a trial is underway for a suspected serial killer charged with killing 18 elderly women in Texas. Today's developments, tonight on the news, 7 Eastern. California Democratic Congresswoman Jackie Spears says that she will not seek an eighth term in office. She is the 14th House Democrat to say that they will not seek re-election next year. Cleveland will have two teams called the Guardians. The city's Major League Baseball franchise and a local roller derby club have settled a lawsuit filed over the name. The Cleveland Indians had delayed their transition to the new name because of that legal dispute. And crowds will be allowed to fill New York Times Square on New Year's Eve. The city's mayor is saying that the celebrations will be back full strength. Spectators ages five and older must provide proof of vaccination. And those who cannot get their shots or choose not to get their shots for medical reasons must prove that they've tested negative for COVID. Kelly, it should be a great time, but... What a logistical nightmare it sounds like. You going? I think you still have to wear. I have gone once before in college. <laughs> I will not do that again. <laughs> but I think you also have to wear a mask, which, I mean, how do you even enforce all of these things in Times Square? I know. I know. But glad it's back. That's true. We will celebrate yeah. that at least. Rahel, thank you very much. Up next, Target has only missed on revenue once in the past five years. Can the positive momentum continue? And the street expects TJX to post strong international sales. We'll see if they can do that. Plus, Lowe's has climbed nearly 30% over the past three months. Is the stock getting ahead of itself? The key numbers to watch and how to position ahead of these key reports is next. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Earnings Exchange, where we bring you the action, the story, and the trade on the biggest upcoming reports. Today, we have three retailers reporting before the bell tomorrow, Target, TJX companies, and Lowe's. Let's begin with Target, whose shares are up nearly 50 percent this year, far outpacing rivals like Amazon and Walmart heading into the holiday season. What have they been doing right, and can they keep it up? Joining me now with the story is Jan Niffen. He is J. Rogers Niffen, Worldwide Enterprises CEO. And here with our trades today is Matt Maley, who's Matt, uh, Miller, uh, 
Miller Tabak's managing director. She said, welcome to both of you. It's great to have you here. Jan, I'll start with you. I love your take on this. You say you used to say that Walmart, Target and Amazon couldn't all be strong at the same time, but no one believes that anymore. Well, that's before we called them the watch, right? Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco and Home Depot. So we've got Target in with the five of the best retailers in the world right now. And I think that that we've got that group right. And I don't think Target will disappoint us tomorrow, especially since Target's a really domestic company as far as its sales. And we know that retail sales last month were up 16.3% year over year. When's the last time we saw that? Like maybe never. So yes, I think they'll be strong. I think they're one of the great companies. They're well capitalized. They've got a great logistics group. They can get the product into the country. They're doing a great job of selling out of every store, whether the sale is digital or physical. And I don't think they're going to disappoint us tomorrow. They're going to show us one more time why they're in that group of five. And what about you, Matt, especially when you look at the charts here? What are you watching? Yeah, I mean, this stock, it's interesting because we saw a nice high in the stock over the summer and uh, and it started to pull back. People started worrying about, you know, how strong is the consumer going to be? And I must admit, you know, that obviously that that has changed. Everybody's very bullish on the consumer. And I must admit, I got a little nervous this past weekend when when the cover of Barron's talked about how great the consumer is. (laughs) When you get the cover of uh, a financial magazine, you start to get a little nervous uh, that uh, it's uh, it's it's over too bullish. But now, as I said, it's just testing those uh, those highs from the summer and so if, if, if this earnings report can be a catalyst uh, from further upside that's going to give it a nice higher high and everybody's looking for momentum stocks going into the end of the year especially institutional investors ones that can really help their performance this thing breaks out above two, uh, no, 265 but above 270 will really uh, confirm that it's broken out and it should give it some real nice uh, rally into the end of the year 266 janet's interesting if i'm reading this correctly it's forward pe is only about 21 amazing Right. It's a fairly cheap from the point of view of looking at it on, on a multiple basis in this marketplace. Right. And so we also have to believe that they've got one of the strongest managements in retail. They've proven that to us as they've gotten progressively better versus everyone else. And like I said before, they're really well capitalized. So they've been able to reinvest in the business and give the consumer exactly what they want. The other thing we're seeing here, of course, is about 6% inflation as well. So that's bleeding into everybody's numbers. Now we know Walmart held that down some, but the actual number is closer to 6% despite what happened inside Walmart stores. I imagine Target's competing with that, but I also think that given the ability to raise price in the current environment, they're not going to have any trouble with the cost of goods line either, despite all the problems of importing goods right now and how expensive that is. That's really interesting. We should also note, by the way, Target CEO Brian Cornell will be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning for an exclusive interview following that earnings report. And that we've got positive trends basically from both Home Depot and Walmart talking to our Courtney Reagan about current quarter or current weeks even and what's going on there foot traffic wise and saying it's pretty strong. So on that note, let's move along to TJX companies, the parent of home goods and TJ Maxx. The stock is up 8% in the past month, but basically flat on the year. Now they're making strides into e-commerce and continuing to open stores. They still only have one underweight rating on the street, according to FactSet. But Matt, why has the stock been more of a struggle this year? Well, I think one of the things that uh, you mentioned that that issue about uh, online uh, retailing and that they need to really improve on that. But one of the things that I really like about this stock and gives it a lot of potential here going forward and and, help 
finally help this stock maybe outperform is this di divergence we're having right now between, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> about how everybody's bullish on the uh, consumer right now. And I do agree. I think, you know, last year was such a lousy holiday se season for in terms of just the way people had to spend it all shut inside there. I want to spend money. I want to spend it on the people I love. And so it's going to be good. However, there, we do have the divergence. Last Friday, of course, we had this much lower than expected consumer confidence number. And uh, so we have a divergence there. I think that's going to be an issue next year. But on a near-term basis, people, the reason why confidence is low is because of the concerns over inflation. Well, what's going to do well in, in, in areas where, where, where you can worry about higher prices? You're going to go to some of these lower-priced retail uh, outlets like TJ Maxx. So I think they're actually going to pick up market share as we go in through, through this holiday season. And that's going to be really bullish. And just the other mention, we, we talked about the technicals on on. Uh, on target. This is also coming up against the $71 level. That's a key resistance level. Uh, it's bumped up against that a couple of times. If you can break above that, again, it'll give it some of that momentum and finally help it outperform uh, as you know from now through the end of the year. Yeah, it's almost like a sale price, $69.99 TJX a moment ago. And by the way, it's Ford PE, a hair higher than targets at 22 uh, on the forward basis. I'm curious, Jen, what you think the story is with consumer confidence, because it's not just you know a one-off. We are seeing a lot of rate about people being unhappy and even about buying intentions for durable goods plunging. Well, people really don't like inflation. People really don't like to go to the store and find out that exactly what I wanted isn't there because it's on a boat someplace. People really don't like to think about the fact that if I don't buy it now, I mean, I get it for Christmas because I won't get the delivery. Or if I go to buy it at the store, it won't be in the store. So that is putting downward pressure on their confidence. But if you look at what they're doing, they're spending like drunken sailors. So they're clearly saying, I'm willing to spend. I'm not really that afraid. But my view of the future is not that good because I see all these things I don't like. Sure. Well, yes, that's what's happening. But that's not going to hurt TJX tomorrow. TJX has probably had great sales. I have the same concerns Matt does about TJX, Ross, and Burlington, the, the off-price guys, because I don't think they're strong enough in digital. And I do think they've got supply chain issues they're going to have to deal with just like everybody else does, because it's going to be harder and harder to get what you want where you want it. But in the short term, they've got plenty of stuff in the stores. They're advertising on television, which they haven't done before. They're bringing in the customer. The customer loves TJ, as we all know, and they're going to have strong sales. Now, as we get into next year, I'm willing to worry about all those things like overstoring that I always do in the off-price space. And I'm willing to worry about how the consumer perceives the price point versus other price points. But right now, the consumer is very healthy. They're willing to spend. And I'll guarantee they're spending at all three of those off-price guys I just said. And we're going to find that out tomorrow when we see TGX. So quickly to follow up on this, Jen, would you prefer an earnings report where they had good numbers, but they said we're going to invest a ton in e-commerce and the stock goes down as a result? But that would is that what you want them to do is to really build out a better online presence? No, I do want them to build out a better online presence, but they're never going to be a big player, I think, in that space. I think what they have to do is win the in-store space, and they have to prove to us they're going to do that. And they're probably going to prove to us that to prove that to us tomorrow. That doesn't keep me from worrying about the overstored thing going on because we know that business in general is transferring online and they're going to have to live in that world. But I don't think I'm looking for them to do what, what Walmart did several years ago and just said, 
we're just going to take it and we're going to fix the things we want to fix and we're going to be a big player online we're going to invest a lot of money there because i don't think that's really the solution for tj but i do think they've got to gradually get better in this digital approach got it okay got it got it yep and there are the shares up just a hair under three percent year to date they can move that much on this report we'll see let's turn to lowe's in the meantime they benefited from increased home sales and renovations during the pandemic Sets them up for some tough comps to last year, but the stock is up 4.5% today as investors are thrilled with Home Depot's results. It's stellar earnings this morning. You know, Jen, you said a moment ago that you've got watch, but you got to add Lowe's in there, right? I mean, same story. First you thought Lowe's and Home Depot, it's got to be one or the other. Lately, it seems to be both and. I used to think they both couldn't be good at the same time, but I also don't have to add them into that group because right now they're still Home Depot's little brother. I will give them credit for what they're doing, though, they're getting closer to Home Depot all the time. They're becoming a better retailer every day. They've got a really strong management. They've got the ability to reinvest, just like those other big players do. I think we'll see really good numbers out of them tomorrow. They don't have the pro business that HD has, and we know a big chunk of why HD was so strong this time was the pro business, but it wasn't the whole story. The rest of the story is the consumer has not quit spending on DYI, and they have not quit spending on their homes, and they're not going to quit spending as fast as we thought they were. We thought they were all going to go over to the apparel side of the business. They didn't. They said, we're just not going to go places. We're still going to spend like crazy on both sides. We're going to spend it for our home. We're going to put clothes on our back, but we're not going to go anywhere yet. And that's what's been happening. So I expect a really good number out of Lowe's tomorrow. All right. So $22 billion in revenue, Matt, about $2.35 in EPS. What are you going to be watching for for this report and for the stock? Well, one of the things that I think a lot of people are missing on, and, and really in general, not just on Lowe's and Home Depot, but uh, uh, but for housing overall, is that people are all worried about inflation that we, we just talked about. And one of the things that people forget, in the 1970s and early 1980s, one of the best protection against uh, inflation, uh, or best hedge, uh, was hard assets. And everybody talked about gold back then, but so was housing. Housing did incredibly well uh, back then. You know, as even though, you know, even though higher interest rates were hurting the stock market, they did not hurt the real estate market at all. Now, we've had this huge ups, you know, uh, influx of buying of homes, so people moving out to the suburbs, and we all know about that. But, you know, uh, and I'm not saying that's played itself out, but we have a lot of other people who are sitting there going, hey, I've got a, 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 a great asset here. I'm going to improve it. I'm going to put the addition on the, on the side, or I'm going to you know, do whatever to improve my, my, my house. And that's, of course, is right up uh, the, the, uh, the alley of, of Lowe's and Home Depot. So I think, you know, again, these stocks are getting, you know, they've had some great runs here. They're getting a little overbought on a technical basis. So you may not want to chase them in an aggressive manner, but I think they'll be, if they get any kind of pullback, I, I, I think they'll rally after these earnings. But if we get a pullback at some point in the next couple of weeks, use that as, as a time to get a little bit more aggressive, uh, because, like I said, it's, 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 it's an asset that people don't really look at as an inflation hedge, and it has been in the past. Absolutely. No, you're not the only one. You know, there's Bill Smead, for instance, was one of those saying the best way that people can protect themselves, own their home, invest in their home, Jan. And that's probably why we've seen this trend have much longer legs than anybody expected. We've been talking for a couple of quarters about when we get this kind of post-pandemic hangover. doesn't seem like it's arrived yet. Well, I think I told you last time this happened, I bought classic cars, art, and houses. The bad news is I paid 12 and three-quarter percent interest on those houses. But on the other hand, yes, I think that's exactly right. The consumer looks around and says, where do I preserve my money? They're in the market. They're in Bitcoin. They should be in hard assets. They've probably figured that out. So they're making their home one of their investments. And they're also nesting because 
they've really felt scared last year and they wanted their house to be their cocoon. And they've continued to feel that way. That may take a while, maybe take a long while to wear off. And the inflation thing may take longer to wear off than we think as well. All right. Jen Niffen and his checkerboard cocoon uh, here to explain all things retail to us. It's great to have you. Thank you. Matt Maley, with all the trades, we look forward to seeing what happens tomorrow morning. Thank you for your time today as well. Got a news alert on Google. Let's head over to Josh Lipton. Josh, what's going on? So, Kelly, some news here on Google Cloud uh, saying it is dealing with some issues here. Specifically, they say we're experiencing an issue with cloud networking beginning today. They said our engineering team continues to investigate the issue. It does appear to be impacting some names, uh, Snap and Spotify, among other apps. We've reached out to Google Cloud for more color. We'll get you that if and when we get a response. Kelly, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you very much. Josh Lipton again reporting on some issues with Google Cloud. Up next, a new report showing one key inflation component is surging, and it's not food or fuel related either. We'll reveal it next. And if inflation is going to be persistent, how should you hedge the assets to buy coming up on the exchange? And we also want to show you shares of Pfizer as we head to a break. The stock higher now after the CEO says the company is hoping to submit the COVID-19 pill for emergency use authorization as early as today. This has made shares turn just slightly positive. These comments from the Stat Summit. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Exchange. Rents are starting to skyrocket, especially for single-family homes. A report out today marks a new milestone. Diana Olick joins us with the details. Diana? Well, Kelly, rent growth is officially in the double digits for single-family homes, up just over 10% in September year-over-year. That's according to CoreLogic. Now compare that to barely 3% annual growth a year ago. More jobs and sky-high prices in the for-sale housing market added to already strong demand for single-family rentals fueled by the pandemic. Now vacancy rates are around a 25-year low. So once again, it's that supply-demand imbalance pushing prices. While rents are rising in all price tiers, the priciest rentals are seeing the biggest gains. And of course, all real estate is local, so Miami is topping the charts with rent up nearly 26% from a year ago, followed by Phoenix, Vegas, Austin, and San Diego. It's likely those top three are getting a boost from the return of the tourism industry. Austin is also seeing a huge influx of tech workers. At the bottom of the ladder, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and New York City. Just under 5% rent growth from a year ago. D.C., Boston, and New York already had very high rents, and Philly and Chicago have higher than average unemployment. Kelly? Wow. So we have skyrocketing rents. I guess in, from that point of view, maybe home builder sentiment rising is a good thing, but I can't imagine it's going to help on the supply issue in the near term. Well, the problem is that they don't have the land, labor, materials, the shortages, the supply chains. We even saw it from D.R. Horton last week when the chairman said they're actually slowing their sales to make sure that they can get the homes to their buyers fast enough that they're not late on deliveries. So you still have a lot of demand, which, of course, makes the home builders happy, but they still can't get enough homes out fast enough. And that's a real problem in the market. Yeah, and it's a big component of inflation, core inflation, especially and all the economists are watching to see where we go from here. Diana, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Diana Olick today. Shares of Disney having a rough month after an earnings miss last week with streaming growth slowing. Despite the miss, Jim Cramer is buying shares today. In his newsletter, he says he expects shares to consolidate around current levels and the worst is behind them and the future is bright. For more on Jim's insight and trades, you can sign up for the CNBC Investing Club newsletter by pointing your phone at that QR code on the screen. And still ahead, Bitcoin sliding today while gold climbs to its highest level in five months. 
Which one is the best inflation hedge? That's next. Remember, you can catch this show anytime, anywhere by listening to and following our Exchange podcast. You get some newsletter reads as well. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Exchange. Bitcoin tumbling today while gold regains some luster as investors weigh which offers greater inflation protection. The cryptocurrency dropping around 5% today, erasing all of its gains for the month. Meanwhile, gold has been climbing to its highest level since June. Joining me now is Peter Bookvar. He's the chief investment officer at the Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Gold or Bitcoin, Peter? Are you a gold guy? I am a gold guy. I am a gold bug. Uh, But keep in mind that the bull case for gold is also can be the bull case for Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin and gold bulls are sort of soulmates in that they believe in a stable uh, currency. They believe in a sound money. Uh, they are they tend to be more anti-central bank. So there is a lot of commonality in the beliefs of Bitcoin and gold. They're, that's why I don't believe in this it has to be one or the other. They can very much complement each other. And with respect to gold, something that's been around for 5,000 years is not going to be just replaced like that by something that's been around for 13 years. I I love it. I just tweeted it out. So there you go. Um, So basically what you're saying is whatever your concern is about what's going on with inflation and the money supply and all the rest of it, if you're of one generation of philosophy, you might choose gold. If you're of a different one, you might choose Bitcoin. But it's all kind of the same concern. And maybe you're reaching for the same kind of protection. So let's turn and talk about what the Fed may or should do here. Um, What do you now think is the timeline for tapering and for rate hikes? You know, do you think it has to be moved forward? Well, it should it should end. You know, the Fed's idea of confronting inflation right now is to increase the size of their balance sheet by another 500 billion. And then after doing that, still have rates at zero. (laughs) So that's not really what they should be doing. But of course, it, it is what they are doing. I think that, the, the, that Powell and, and the Fed have become so afraid of slowing economic growth, slowing the demand side of the economy to recalibrate inflation and just have their fingers crossed that somehow the supply side is going to uh, solve itself. And I, and I think that that's wishful thinking. And there's no free lunch here. It, it's, that's the point of raising interest rates. It is to moderate growth to get in control of inflation because you can't have health, a healthy economy and maximum employment unless you have stable prices. So right now we have very unstable prices, which creates a very fragile economic foundation. And do you think the retail sales report today is a case in point? You know, it looks strong until you kind of dig through the numbers and adjust for inflation, right? So in March, after the, the, the $1.9 trillion spending plan uh, came into being, Retail sales went up in this number 11% in the month of March. So from April through October, headline retail sales are up 2.4%, but the headline consumer price index is up 4.4%. So on a real inflation-adjusted basis, since March, retail sales are actually negative. It's pretty extraordinary to point out. We also have falling consumer confidence and plunging plans for buying big-ticket items and so forth. So... It's weird because in a way, I think the Fed would say, yeah, see, that's why we can't back away too quickly. Well, that's why they're handcuffed, because they've reached a point where inflation is running to such an extent that they have to address it. But they're afraid to slow the economy. When they look out to 2022, they see that the fiscal push that we saw this year 
is going to sort of lap off next year. And they're worried because they're so focused on maximum employment that if we tighten, that slows growth, people start losing their jobs, then what are we going to do? But I'll say again that you can't have a healthy economy unless you have stable prices. And right now we have the furthest thing from that. So you don't think if they if they kind of increase the pace of the taper, if they pulled forward some rate hikes, that we would see the economy slow down in a significant way as a result of that, that you, the bigger risk is that uh, high prices, let's call it, are creating their own kind of slowdown. Well, that is a great point. It is. And we're seeing that slowly happening in housing where buyers are beginning to have sticker shock and they're beginning to back away somewhat from buying a home. So high prices are definitely impacting that. And I do think as you cycle through more uh, price increases, which companies seem to be willing to continue on doing, that you are going to hit that wall. But there's no way, in my opinion right now, to solely inflation story unless you moderate the demand side. Because, yes, the supply side will normalize at some point, but it can't just be a one-way street. The demand side has to meet the supply side, and the only way of doing that is to moderate the demand side. I mean, keep in mind, mortgage rates, in my opinion, if they were had a four-handle instead of a three-handle, we would not have seen housing prices go up 20%. If money was not so cheap, you wouldn't have such extreme demand for autos that have created such sharp increases for cars because of that and also the supply side issues. Yeah. So you almost have to moderate the interest rate sensitive demand side in order to better calibrate the supply demand imbalance right now. Very interesting. We've talked about these before, but I do want to mention for our audience, your inflation recommendations are by gold, silver and the miners, oil stocks, fertilizer stocks, copper stocks, uranium stocks like CCJ and maybe the tips as well. So there you go. At, uh, Peter's inflation portfolio. We appreciate you being here, Peter. Thanks as always for the time. Thanks, Kelly. Peter Bookvar with the Bleakley Advisory Group. And still ahead, at first glance, it looks like Elon Musk is making good on his promise and selling off millions of Tesla shares after that vote on Twitter. But dig a little deeper and his moves are a little more complicated. We will sort out Musk's strange stock sale next. Welcome back. Shares of Tesla are down nearly 14% since Elon Musk started selling billions of dollars worth of stock. And while part of the sale was planned, some of the moves have accountants puzzled. Robert Frank joins me now with that story. Robert? Well, Kelly, Elon is selling off another $930 million in stock yesterday. That's to pay his taxes on his latest options exercise. So far, he sold about $2 billion for tax withholding. He's got a lot more to go. His tax bill could end up being between 12 and $15 billion on that massive pay package that is, expires in August. But according to the SEC filings, Musk has actually been making two kinds of sales here, one for taxes and one for straight cash or for reasons unknown. Now, of that $7 billion in sales last week, $5.7 billion was not related to taxes or options. Now, aside from that Twitter poll, he hasn't given a reason for this other categories of sales. He could be selling to invest in SpaceX or another business. He could simply want to take money off the table after a strong run in this stock. Now, he will have to pay federal capital gains tax on these regular sales. Musk on Twitter calling it, quote, closer to tax maximization than minimization. And since he lives in Texas, which has no income tax, he might be able to save billions from not paying any California state tax. And by selling now, he avoids tax increases from Congress that, if they pass, could start on January 1st. So, Kelly, bottom line, 
He is selling to pay taxes, but he's selling even more to cash out of this stock and perhaps avoid higher taxes in the future. Aha. Robert, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Robert Frank with the story today. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.